0: All right. Well, if I could have everyone's attention, I'm going to turn it over to Scotty, who's going to share some announcements with us. So continue to make your way in. Uh, If you could give your attention up here at the front, Um, he's got some important things he's going to share about our church body and what
1: is going on. All right. Good morning, church. It's wonderful to be with you this morning. Thank you for those who are watching on live stream. If you could like and share the video and get the message out. That'd be wonderful. Uh, we have just a few announcements this morning. First one's going to be about our CareNet baby bottle campaign. Um, this is something that we've done uh, actually pretty recently, and we're going to continue to do. We have small little baby bottles. I didn't grab one. Deb probably would have had one for me if she was here. But uh, we have baby bottles that we fill with change, uh, dollar bills, checks, whatever, and this all goes to CareNet, which is a, a local ministry. For those of you who don't know, that's a It's a wonderful ministry. It it kind of hones in on mothers and fathers that have unexpected pregnancies coming up. And this is a a pro-life group that our church supports and they do wonderful work. So if you would like to give to that and, and be a part of the baby bottle campaign, make sure you pick one up before you leave today. You can get that in the back of the information table. And you have until Father's Day, which is June 18th. I think that's in two weeks. So hint, once again, Father's Day. father's day the day for fathers june eighteenth that's in about a, c- a couple weeks, so make sure you mark your calendars <laughs> yeah next one's going to be bait or sorry bubbles and babies and books bubbles and babies and books. This is not for the fathers uh, this is starting this. Wednesday, June 7th, all of our families with preschool children are invited. This this Wednesday, June 7th, it's going to be at Charles Park. For those of you who don't know where Charles Park is, it's kind of central Vero, just west of uh, the high school. So that's going to be this Wednesday, June 7th, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. This is going to be geared towards uh, preschoolers, but obviously, a lot of preschoolers have siblings, so siblings are invited as well. There'll be Activities for all ages, and also, this is a great uh, outreach opportunity. Um, If you want to, if you have small kids, and maybe you know others who have small kids and they're not in a church body, this is a great uh, opportunity to invite them in a nice kind of informal atmosphere. So, make sure you bring a snack and drink and join us uh, Wednesday, June 17th. Next, hurricane season. If you guys don't know, hurricane season has actually officially started. So we're going to uh, kind of whisper about that and make sure that uh, not everyone knows. Hopefully hopefully we have a nice uh, calm season. But in, in order to be prepared, uh, Terry Jones, I see Terry down here, Terry Jones, who works with our men's ministry, he has stepped up and volunteered to kind of lead a core uh, of wanting to be prepared for hurricane season. So there'll be information For those of you who maybe haven't experienced it or maybe uh, you would like some information on how to prepare for that, but also we're going to be trying to get together a volunteer force for uh, helping to prepare for a coming storm. There's a lot of stuff that has to happen coming up to that, preparing your house, getting in all the stuff that's around the house, and it can be kind of an overwhelming time for people, especially if they are not uh, physically able to do some of those tasks. So if you would like to sign up for that, please see Terry or the information table in the back for the hurricane preparedness team. And really, once again, another great opportunity. Maybe you're not someone who likes to get out in front of people or you feel uh, uncomfortable in big groups. This is a great opportunity to serve your church body. It's It's a meaningful thing. And you might think, oh, well, everyone's ready for a storm. Well, no, they're not. So those who have the tools, those who have the physical ability to do it, please sign up for this and uh, make sure everyone's safe and sound for the storms coming up. And then finally, if, uh, if you feel led to give, we do not pass an offering plate here at Vero Bible Fellowship. There's a box over here along the wall that you could give to, and also you could mail in a check or you could give online. Thank you.
0: Well, it's good to be together today. And to come together to worship the Lord, let's begin our service by going to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we exalt and worship your name this morning. You are the creator. You created all things and by the power of your word and because of your will they exist. And all things are created for your glory. And that includes each and every one of us we know. And so, Lord, as we come together this morning, we ask for your help to worship you rightly in spirit and in truth, to worship our creator and our maker. We need your help, and we pray this in your holy name. Uh, We ask that all glory, honor, and power be to your name, the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we begin our service this morning. Simple question that we can kind of always ask when we start a service of worship is, why is the Lord worthy of worship? And really, there are so many answers to that question. Really, there are endless answers to that question. Uh, But one of the foundational ones that we find in the Bible is that he is our creator and our maker, and thus all creation owes him worship. And in Psalm 148, we see this call for all creation, for heavens and all the earth to worship God. And so let's hear the word of the Lord this morning. Psalm 148 says this, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him, all his angels, praise him, all his hosts, praise him, sun and moon, praise him, all you shining stars, Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. And he established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps. Fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars. Beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints, for the people of Israel who are near to him. Praise the Lord. Let's sing and worship him this morning. Would you stand with us? Creatures of our God and King,
2: all oh, creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, Oh, praise Him! Alleluia! thou burning sun with golden beams, thou silver moon with softer green. Oh, praise Him! Oh, praise Him! Alleluia! 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 Thou rushing wind that art so strong. Let's sail in heaven alone
0: My soul waits for the Lord more than watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. As we begin in praising God and worshiping him as creator, uh, we come to the reality that we have all sinned against our creator that we all rightly and justly uh, stand under his judgment. But with God, there is forgiveness, as the psalm said. If the Lord should count our iniquities, who could stand? The answer is no one. But with the Lord, there is forgiveness. And so for Christians, we believe that our sins have been forgiven past, present, and future. But we continue to confess our sins to the Lord uh, as an act of repenting from them, and also being reminded of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. And so before we sing this next song, which we're really singing Psalm 130, I just encourage you to just take a moment and um, confess any sin on your heart that you need to to the Lord just privately before we begin singing.
2: I cry to you. In darkest places I will call. Incline your ear to me anew. And hear my cry for mercy, Lord. count my sinful ways how could i come before your throne yet full forgiveness meets my case i stand redeemed by grace alone i will wait for you i will wait for you on your word i will rely I will wait for you, surely wait for you, till my soul is satisfied. So put your hope in God alone. Take courage in His power to save. Completely and forever one Now He has come to make a way And God Himself has paid the price That all who trust in Him today find healing in His sacrifice. That all who trust in Him today find healing in His sacrifice. I will wait for you. I will wait for you. Through the storm and through the night, I will wait for you, surely wait for you, for your love is my delight.
0: Sing that chorus one
2: last time. I will wait for you, I will wait for you through the storm and through the night, I will wait for you surely.
0: The last song that we're going to sing is an old hymn. Jesus, keep me near the cross. And it's just a prayer that we would uh, be reminded that all of our worth, all of our glory is not found in our jobs. It's not found in our family, in our status, in our education, whatever it might be. It's found in the Lord. It's found in the righteousness given to us in the cross.
2: Sing this together. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain, free to all the healing stream, flows from Calvary's mountain. Cross a trembling soul, love and mercy found me. watch and wait hoping trusting
0: last part. Till my ransomed soul shall find. Till my
2: ransomed soul shall find. Rest beyond the river.
0: Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the love of your Son for all that you did for us in the cross, that we can find righteousness, we can find uh, forgiveness, we can find freedom all in the cross. And that's our simple prayer this morning as a church. Keep us near to the cross. Keep us uh, in our minds. Keep the theology of what was done. Keep the, the narrative and the history of what was done. Keep it in our minds, Lord, because we need it constantly, day by day. We need to live in light of the truth of the gospel. And so we ask for your help, Lord. And we ask that you would just continue to prepare our hearts for your word to be preached this morning. Lord, help us to receive it with gladness and eagerness. Help us to be ready to study your word together. And help us to live our lives in light of it. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it's the time in our service when we're going to release our kids to go off to children's ministry. So, kids, you can make your way forward. And uh, our volunteers are going to be coming up as well. And as our kids come forward, can we just give a round of applause and just celebrate each of our kids? Valued parts of our church body, valued. Yes. Awesome. Well, we uh, get the privilege of celebrating communion this morning, and so I'm going to turn it over to um, one of our pastors, Bruce, who is going to lead us in communion.
3: Good morning church, my name is Bruce Berlin and I serve on the elder team here at Vero Bible Fellowship and it's my honor to lead us in communion this morning. You know the very first communion, also known as the Lord's Supper, occurred during the Last Supper, which was Jesus' last meal with his disciples before the crucifixion. Most biblical scholars agree that this meal was the Passover meal. And this makes sense because the origins and symbolism of both of these meals are very similar. The reason God instituted the Passover meal was so that the people of Israel would always remember and proclaim the events surrounding the night that they escaped death and slavery in Egypt through God's intervention. God had sent the angel of death, the 10th plague, to kill the firstborn male in every family in order to convince Pharaoh to free the Israelites. And in order to protect the Israelites, he told them to kill a perfect lamb and to spread its blood around the doorframe of their home so that the angel of death would pass over them. So an innocent and perfect lamb had to die and have its blood poured out in order for the Israelites to be saved. The ancient Israelites looked back to these events as the defining moment in their history when their identity as a nation began. The Lord's Supper, or communion, was instituted for the same reason, so that we would always remember and proclaim the price that Jesus paid so that we could escape death and slavery from our sins through God's intervention. And so now we look back at the events surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus as the defining moment in our history when our identity as God's children began. Communion is a memorial of this defining moment. And because of this communion is not just a ritual. It is a beautiful experience that we can all share together on this side of the cross. It is a time of remembrance, a time of reflection, and also a time of celebration. It is a time of remembrance and remembering that Jesus body was broken for us and that he was beaten and crucified for our sins and died to pay a penalty that we couldn't pay. And a time to remember that Jesus' blood was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins so that we could be made righteous in his eyes. It is a time of reflection when we are to reflect and examine ourselves closely so that we can receive communion with pure hearts. To do this, we should search our hearts and find if we need to repent of anything, or to forgive anyone, or maybe to confess our sins before a loving and forgiving God, or maybe even rid ourselves of any hate or bitterness we have towards anyone. And communion is also a time of celebration, a celebration of the gospel, the good news. The good news that God loved the world so much that he sent his only son into it in order to die for our sins. The good news that our salvation and eternal life and home in heaven are guaranteed through Christ. And the good news that we can have a loving relationship with God today and forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we gather before your presence today, we come with grateful hearts, acknowledging your love and grace that sustains us. We approach this time of communion where we remember the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, and the profound gift of his body and blood given for our redemption. In this sacred moment, we seek to align our hearts and minds with yours We humbly ask for your forgiveness for any sins we have committed, and we repent with sincere hearts, desiring to live in accordance with your will. Lord, thank you for the privilege we have of taking communion together, and for the eternal hope that we have in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So. Communion is for those who have made the decision to accept Jesus as the forgiver of their sins and leader of their life. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, then I invite you to join us this morning in communion. But if you've not made the decision to put your faith in Jesus, then I ask that you would remain seated and that take this time to reflect on the meaning of communion. So I'd like now to invite the ushers up to prepare the tables for what we are going to be receiving. So as the music starts to play, I would ask that the front rows would come up through the middle aisle to receive the elements and then go back through the, the sides back to your seats. If anyone here needs assistance with communion, please raise your hand and someone will come bring the elements to you. So as you wait for your time to come and receive the elements and when you return to your seats, please take this time to remember and reflect in silence. This is a time between you and God to maybe thank him for who he is and what he's done in your life or maybe to confess your sins and ask for his forgiveness. And when everyone has the elements in hand, then I will lead us in celebrating communion together. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you will proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup together. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we come to the close of this sacred time of communion, we give you thanks for the gift of your presence among us. May the bread we have shared and the cup we have received remind us of your love and sacrifice for us. As we leave today's service, may we carry the spirit of unity and fellowship into our daily lives, extending grace and compassion to everyone we meet. Please guide our steps to live out the message of your love in our words and actions, so that they may bring healing, reconciliation, and hope to a world that is in desperate need of a Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen.
4: Good morning. morning. Reading from the word of God this morning, Ephesians 5, 8 through 16 says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful to even speak of things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. This is the word of the Lord.
5: We've already had a wonderful service. If we went home right now, it would have been uh, time well spent with the Lord and with the body of Christ. It's good to see all of you. Let me move this to the center so we're not looking like a uh, Presbyterian church. Nothing wrong with our Presbyterian brothers and sisters, but they have it to the side. So we go down the center aisle. I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'm, I'm very thankful that my daughter Lauren and her husband Graham and their five children are here uh, from Wheaton. And uh, I know some of you are from that area as well. I hope you get a chance to say hi to them before they, they leave today. And uh, I, I just want to say this, that we have a, a, a lot of women in our church who are pregnant, who are expecting. And that is a good thing. I want yeah, Amen. That's right. That's worth it. And because, because you're just following Scripture, be fruitful and multiply. And so so I'm thankful for that. We have 12 grandchildren, all 12 uh, are with us today, and what a blessing that is. We've already had two, the most recent, little Ivor Allen Simstrott, uh, the first Simstrot boy in the family out of 12, amen for that, and... Uh, uh, I'm not sure that they're here, but uh, yeah, not too early yet, but uh, uh, we're expecting one more in August, so we're trying to c- follow that same command as a family, be fruitful and multiply. Amen. All right. No, it's not Rini. Some of you are wondering. No, it's not true. We're going to get into the Word this morning, and uh, I want you to take your Bible and go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 1 and be ready. Uh, Let's start with prayer. Father, you're the one that has led us to this focus this morning, and I'm praying that God, you would speak to every heart that is here that subjective word that each of us individually needs to hear. But you're also speaking corporately. You're speaking to all of us together as a church. May we receive that message as well. And Father, may we be prepared and ready to go into this world and live out the gospel, which is our calling. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're leaving our verse-by-verse study through the uh, book of Philippians in order to focus on a subject that's important for the church uh, to understand and, and really to respond to. Uh, I'm talking about what has become the new religion uh, in our society, in our nation. Uh, we used to be a, a, a Christian culture. At least Christianity was a mainstay. It was believed by, by many uh, that in this nation and, and, and used to guide us, the principles. Even in the founding documents, you find that the Bible had great influence on our early uh, fathers and uh, the, first, uh, the first public school in America was uh, in a church. Uh, the first textbook, public school textbook, guess what it was? The Bible. And so you can see how far we've, we've fallen as a nation. And there's a new religion in town now, and, and, and it's taken over. Jonathan Lehman, uh, an author and editor for Nine Marks Journal, He recently posted an article that I read Friday night. He titled it, Pastor, Help Your Congregation Navigate Gay Pride Month. And that really spoke to me because all week and coming into the month of June, I saw all the promotional pieces, the advertisements uh, talking about Gay Pride Month. I, I kept up with what was happening with the Dodgers and inviting uh, people to come in, men who were dressed as nuns, and who had a cross and had a, a, a pole next to it that somebody was dancing on, and just the blasphemy of that before Almighty God, and that that a major you know organization, the Dodgers, would would approve of that, and you know children go to those games. And we see in corporate America, we see uh, giving into uh, this new religion. And Target especially has been in the news recently with the clothing that they're putting out that promotes among children the gender fluidity and everything that's going on. So this article that Jonathan Lehman wrote just really... It really just reinforced something that I was already stirred up about, but didn't know when and how and where I would communicate this message. And, uh, and that, that article really helped me. It settled the issue, and I, I texted uh, the staff and later the elders, and I said, guys, I just feel like uh, we need to address this, even though we're in the verse-by-verse study of Philippians, which you know we, we stick to. And I, I want to address it today. Uh, Know this, that I'm going to be taking excerpts from that article, and you can download that article. Go to Nine Marks' uh, website, Nine Marks, M-A-R-K-S, and you can download the article from Jonathan Lehman titled, Pastor, Help Your Congregation Navigate Gay Pride Month. Jonathan is also an elder in his uh, church, which is Cheverly Baptist Church in Cheverly, Maryland, just outside of Washington, D.C., In the article, he mentions a congressional staffer, a friend of his, who who just four days ago told him that along with the two flags that you typically see outside of each congressional office, the two flags would be the American flag and then whatever state flag that congressman or woman belonged to, those two flags would fly outside the office. He said that uh, now... There's a third flag that's flying from many of the congressional offices, and that is the rainbow flag. So it doesn't necessarily mean that that person engages in anything, but they are under the pressure of their own state or under the pressure of society. They're caving in. They're caving in. That ought to be a concern to us as Americans, but more importantly, we're not here today to represent America. We're here today to represent God. So as Christians, this is a great concern. Um, There's a shift going on. It's a shift in American society before our eyes. A a new religion is rising up out of a post-Christian culture. Uh, Jonathan Lehman aptly calls it, this new religion, neo-paganism, a new paganism. And the main push and promotion of this new paganism is sexual sin. Sexual sin has been around a long time. Uh, When I was a boy back in the 60s, uh, we know that there was a strong sexual sin push, a revolution, a sexual revolution occurring in our nation. But it never gained momentum with the mainstream, mainstream of America because the prevailing influence was still Christianity. Christianity served as a restraining force against that kind of an onslaught. So the sexual revolution in the 60s was more of a fringe movement than a norm of society. In fact, it was, it was shunned by the mainstream. But Christianity is no longer the prevailing influence in America. It's been replaced with paganism. If any of you think that this is a Christian nation, you, you, you've, you've closed your eyes, you've stuck your head in the sand... It's not. Yes, there are those who believe in God. There are churches that are standing on the truth of God. But that is waning. Fewer and fewer churches are standing on truth. Many Christians today who would say they are evangelical have caved in to the norms of this society that are worldly belief systems. Paganism bows to no religion because it is a religion. The same is true for atheism. Whatever they tell you about atheism, it's a religion. And and it's a religion of humanity. It's a human religion where one can indulge in worldly delights and material possessions, one who revels in sensual pleasures. Hedonism is well in a neo-paganism society. And self-indulgency is really the focus. That's the key to life. Do what you want to do. There's no rules. there's There's no absolute truth. Truth is what you make it out to be. And so God speaks of pagans and paganism. He speaks of it so often in the Bible. We shouldn't be surprised that our nation is facing what it's facing right now. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans, in chapter 1, and I'm going to turn there with you. He not only addresses the pagans as ungodly, but he also talks about the downgrade, the spiritual downgrade associated with total depravity, the pathology of sinful behavior. He talks about these things. Let's look at it. Chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God... Is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Let's stop there for a second. I have a file uh, of articles and letters that I've received, emails that I printed out from people who were caught up in homosexuality, those types of sins, uh, which I... all Look, it doesn't matter whether it's fornication, whether it's adultery, whether it's homosexuality, bestiality, it's all sexual sin. But there are some sexual sins that are natural, and there are some that are unnatural. And, and, and I have a file of people who are caught up in unnatural sexual sin, who because we taught the word of God and continued to hold the line of truth and the Holy Spirit took that truth and allowed those seeds to settle in the hearts of these people, they turned back to God. They walked away from that lifestyle. In this file, I have people who say to me, don't believe it when they tell you that they are born this way. I used to proclaim that. I've got one who was, a, who was an, uh, uh, an advocate. They were a voice for that community. And that was one of their lines, was you're coming against people who were born this way. This is the way God made them. And that person said to me in, this, in, their, in their letter, they said, that's not true. And I always knew it wasn't true. Because it lines up with Scripture here, that he's made it plain to them Because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. What truth? What are they suppressing? God's eternal power and divine nature. They're going against God. That's really the issue here. When somebody gets angry at you because you don't line up with what they believe and you're not falling in line to support them, and they'll say to you, You don't love me. If you love me, then you would no, that's not love. And what they're really angry at is not you. They're angry at God. Their issue is with God. And and so it's his it's his it's what he's created. They're mad at what he created. Well, what did he create? Well, okay, yeah, he created galaxies. He created our solar system, the sun, the moon, the stars. He's created the sky above us. He's created the earth, the land, the sea. And he's created every creature that walks on the land, that swims in the sea, that flies in the air. God's created all of that. But it also says in Genesis 127, you want to know what people are angry at God about? 127 in Genesis, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. There's the rub. God set things in order by his creation, and they don't like order, not the way God created it. That's an issue. I'm starting out sharing with you, hopefully, some of the pathology behind why people today are doing and acting and behaving the way they are. Romans 1 clearly defines it. When we see the various identifications that man gives himself in this modern paganism, don't get caught up in trying to understand it all. It's inexplicable. It all boils down to a rejection of God's creation. It's a picture of what happens when we man, when man becomes untethered in his mind. When there is no God, there is no absolute biblical truth. He's free to say and be and do and think whatever he chooses. It's the new paganism, a total rejection of God and of the Bible. And here's the deal. Paul said it. God is storing up wrath against the ungodly. That's not Old Testament. That's that's now. God is storing up wrath. So how did we get here? By God's judgment. By God's judgment against man and his rebellion against God. Romans 1.21. Actually, what we see happening is God giving over to reprobate minds what they want. Romans 1:21 for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile, foolish in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds, and animals, and creeping things. In other words, they chose to worship idols that they created rather than the one true and living God that created them. Paul speaks of this downgrade of man's rebellious, sinful behavior because once you remove God from the equation, as people today in our society have done, all hell breaks loose. And that is what we're seeing By the way, it's interesting that God has placed certain restraints in place on the earth to keep man from an all-out reprobate behavior. One restraint is government. The Bible actually says that you should obey the laws of the land. The only time that you disobey the law of the land, the only time that civil disobedience comes into play, is if the law of the land is to go against the law of God. Now you don't have to stand for that. But otherwise, Jesus said, give unto Caesar what's Caesar's, and unto God what's God's. you got to obey the law of the land. That's a, that was put in place by God. What for? For the restraint of all-out all out evil. But in this society, they don't want police. We don't want government to choose and tell us what to do. And then another restraint that's been put in place by God, it's a natural restraint, Uh, is family. The world did not create the concept of family. God did. God did. And so you have a mom and you have a dad and you have children. That's the family. In this society, 75% of children who live in the inner city do not have a father image in their home. That means dads are not around to teach and to correct and to love their children. No wonder we have chaos on the streets when there's no father image that God put in place to restrain evil. The same would be true if the mom was missing. You're missing something that's absolutely critical as an ingredient to raise a child. This society does not respect that. That's why... Black Lives Matter, the BLM movement is so evil. In their own purpose statement, they do not support there's nothing said about fathers. Not one thing. Because that's not an important point. And that goes against everything God stands for. So now we've got we've got the government that the world has turned against. We've got the family that the world has completely ignored. Those are two important restraints. A third restraint is the church. God has placed the church in society. There was a time when the church was the centerpiece of every community, of every village in America. They even held their city meetings at the church. It was the key building in the the city that they would go to. It was where the children were raised and taught. The church today... Many churches no longer even believe what the Bible teaches, much of what the Bible teaches. It's a different day. So you've got a society, a culture that has completely rejected all of these God-given restraints. No wonder we are where we are. I mean, in the church, it's made up of pragmatism and false gospel. Nobody's preaching about repentance and sin. I shouldn't say nobody. There are are many churches that are faithful to God. But there's a lot of churches, they've stopped talking about sin. They've stopped talking about repentance. How do you come to God without those two things? Recognition of your sinfulness. Recognition of the need for repentance to be saved. So what happens when we reject government and family and the church as God intended? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. In other words, God had a plan. He had an order. They rejected his order. They rejected his plan. So God said, go right ahead. I'm going to give you up to the evil and the wickedness that has filled your heart. And by the way, every person who's born is born depraved. But that doesn't mean you have to act on every, depra- every, every thought of depravity that comes in your mind. These folks were acting on it. And God said, go ahead. And what did he give them up to? It says right here. It says he gave them up to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Impurity dishonoring your body because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore amen so when men create when, when man creates his own I you know his own idea of a god when man says I'm going to set up my own idol here's the problem. You can say, well, my idol is my identity. I'm not male, I'm female. I'm not female, I'm male. I don't need to, I don't have a desire for a woman. I'm going to go after a man. I'm going to go after the same sex that I am. God is giving you over to those impure thoughts in this society today. What we see is a people that have rejected God and God is now giving them over to it. But here's the problem with with that kind of thinking. Whatever you have made to be your idol, it's always less than you. In the Old Testament, several times the prophet spoke and said, you create this idol out of wood or out of some precious metal And you give it eyes, but it cannot see. You give it ears, but it can't hear. You give it a mouth, but it can't speak. You give it legs, it can't walk. The idol that you've made is actually less than you. Why would you ever succumb to something that is less than you are? For a man to think that he's a woman, that he can be pregnant, You can't be pregnant if you're a man. It's biologically impossible. You just made yourself something that is less than what God created you to be. And the same would be true for a woman who wants to be a man. You just gave up what God created for something that's less than what God created you to be. So verse 26, it goes further. That's the first downgrade. It's impurity. Okay? The second one, for this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. So you go from imp- impure thoughts to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, they would be unnatural. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God, now the third downgrade, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind is a reprobate mind. It's a mind that cannot think straight. It's a mind that sees evil as good and good as evil. We can look at it and go, scratch our head, what are they thinking? They don't see it because God's handed them over to a reprobate mind. And that's what we're seeing in our society today, is it not? It says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but they give approval to others who practice them. Now our children are being introduced into these these reprobate behaviors. So we're seeing Scripture play out before our eyes right now because the, the real question is, how are we going to respond to this stuff? I didn't share what I just shared about the downgrade and about where our nation is so that you would then turn against the nation and turn against the very people that are practicing these things. It's not why I shared it. Now I want to turn the corner and say, as Christians, how should we respond to these who are caught up in reprobate sinfulness? How do we respond to a nation where now it's become the norm for people to be perversive in their sin, in their sexual sin. I must tell you that the Bible has a lot to say about how Christians should respond. So get ready, write down these verses. You can turn if you'd like. But first and foremost, I'm glad this is number one for us. First and foremost, we are called by God to love people. Okay, okay, preacher, but what people? No, just people. Period. That's all people. Regardless of their political agenda, regardless of their behavioral practices, God commands us to love them. It's interesting, Jesus responded to a Pharisee who tried to trap him with a question. And the question was, Teacher, What is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus told the Pharisee, who was evil in his heart. Again, he's trying to trap Jesus. He's trying to trap God. They had already decided by Matthew chapter 22 to kill him. And so he asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds to this man who has ulterior motives. And he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Matthew 22, 37 through 40. So how we love others says a lot about how we love God. You cannot separate loving God from loving people. Jesus gave both, and he said, on these two, you find all the law and all the prophets. You can tell me all day long till you're blue in the face how much you love God, but if you don't love people that have different views, sinful views, and by the way, you're not so clean yourself While you might not be participating in sexual, immoral sin, there's other things in your life. I just read for you a list of things in Romans, and we all can be guilty of those things. And they're, they're categorized along with these who have dishonorable passions. So we're not so clean. But if you tell me you love God, but you don't love people, then the love of God is not real or it's, it's not whole in you. And nobody believes you. You have no credibility with people. In fact, when he was talking to the church, Peter said, the way you love others is the way God loves you. And he also said that this is how they'll know. John said, this is how they'll know that you've passed from death to life, by how you love the brethren. It's interesting Here we are talking about loving the world. We don't even, at times don't even get along with each other in the church. And he made it clear how you get along in the church tells the world that you belong to God or tells them you don't belong to God. You can't separate these two. Jesus used the example of the good Samaritan to show how to love people that others reject. In the parable It was the religious people, the priest and the Levite. They were the ones that passed over on the other side. They didn't want to get anywhere around this man lying in a ditch, beaten and bloodied. Because if they touched him or got near, they felt that they would be unclean, and then they couldn't go to temple and serve. I don't want to mess up my service in the Lord's house, so I can't walk by this guy. I can't help this guy. Jesus said it was a Samaritan. A Samaritan to the Jew was a dog they're half-breeds. They're part Jew and part somebody of some other pagan nation. That happened when the Assyrians hauled off those in Samaria and then brought them back, or some stayed, they let some stay, but then they brought in people from other nations and they intermarried. So the Jews down in the south in Jerusalem and Judea, they didn't like the Samaritans because you're half-breeds. Jesus said it was a half-breed that showed the love of God by loving this man in the ditch when those from the church wouldn't do anything. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The next time you look at somebody and look down upon them because of their behavior, their sinful behavior, Maybe you ought to be, you need to remember when Jesus came after you. It was when you were filled with sin. It's when the world would say you are unlovable. And that's when God chose you. That's when he sent his son to die for you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. While they are yet sinners, We are called to love. Amen? You might not know how to handle a situation that you come into, and believe me, there's all kinds of situations waiting right around the corner for you to trap you. If it hasn't happened yet, it's going to happen. It'll happen at your workplace. It'll happen in your school. It'll happen in your neighborhood. It's going to happen. How you handle those situations says a lot about whether you love God or not. By how you handle those things you might not know how to handle, but you can show God's love. If you fail anywhere, don't fail in that. Show the love of God. Show it. Secondly, keep in mind that God's love is not the same as the world's love. Do not be confused on this point. John 14, 15, 21, 23, and 24, it says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Nobody can say they love God if they don't keep the commandments. That doesn't mean you're perfect in them. That just means you desire to follow God's word. Amen? Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. So when somebody in this world comes to you and says, well, I love God, but their life reveals sexual impurity, you don't have to get in their face and straighten them out. You need to show God's love. Show them what God's love really looks like and let them know those things go against God. You're, you're not able to say you love God when you do those things, because the Scripture says those things are evil. They're not going to listen to you. Probably, in most cases, they're going to reject what you're saying. They're going to be angry at you. It's okay. Still love them. I still love you, and I'm praying for you, and you need to mean it. See, the goal, the the, the underlying motivation for loving this world is we want to see them come into the same salvation that we have with God, amen? If that's not your motivation, keep your mouth shut. Do not go on Facebook or on some social media and blast off coming off on all these who are caught up in sexual sin. That does no good for the gospel and it doesn't look good on you either. Doesn't he go to Vero Bible Fellowship? You give the church a bad name when you do that. Stop it! What we should do is show love. You can say, I disagree. I don't believe the Bible supports what you're saying. But I still love you, and I'm praying for you. Amen? There's a right way to handle things. God's love is always represented by righteousness, obedience, and truth. Always. Don't ever think you're doing God's will when it's lacking righteousness, obedience, and truth. Verse 23 again, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him and whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Keep the words of God. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, 6 that God's love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. I know Christians because, because sexual impurity comes close to their house, maybe through relatives, Maybe through dear friends, they start softening their position on that type of sin for the sake of their family member, for the sake of their friend. Listen now, let me read it to you again. 1 Corinthians 13 6. God's love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. What does that mean? You don't condone, you don't wink at sinful behavior. You love the person. But when the Holy Spirit gives you opportunity and because you love them and want to see them saved, you take that opportunity to share truth with them. Knowing that maybe they will reject you. Remember what I said at the beginning. They're really rejecting God. He's really the issue, not you. So take it. Let them do what they're going to do but you keep loving them. Give them a, a reason to really question why they don't like you. Because you keep showing love. I want to hate them. But they're even though they're different and they stand on this Bible, they have shown me nothing but love. Renee and I have a friend. I was her youth pastor back in Daytona Beach. And she went off and... Uh, She embraced a homosexual lifestyle. She's gay. She is a voice, a big voice in the gay community. She's a comedian. She was so always very bright and extremely, uh, you know, just could just make you laugh at the drop of a hat. She now is a comedian. She travels. She does performances. And I remember uh, back when we were going through a difficult time and somebody said something. Out of the blue, she comes on Facebook and she responded and said, You don't know Greg and Reany like I do. Even though she's caught up in that lifestyle, and even though she knows that we don't agree with the lifestyle that she's living, she knows that we love her and we do. See, you can do it. They might be angry at you at first. Maybe they'll never come back and be your friend. That's okay. You're standing for truth in love. God's love is different from the world's love. It's not the same love. In worldly love, it means that you love whatever you want to be. I, I love this. I love that. And there's no foundation. It's not tethered to anything. Our love is tethered to the word of God. Our love is tethered to God himself, right? Right? When love requires you to approve of sexual sin, you know that's not real love. You should know that. So don't cater to it. You continue to hold the line for real love, real truth, real obedience, real faithfulness, real righteousness. Thirdly, don't fall prey to the temptation to lie. It's likely that by lying, it'll get you out of a difficult spot. It'll soften things. But as a believer, we're not taught to lie to save our skin. We're told to tell the truth, the Bible says, in love. One of the commandments is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You got to be honest. Speaking the truth in love doesn't mean that we have to say everything in every moment that we're thinking. I know there are Christians that do that. They just blast. They just open their mouth, and they don't let the Lord fill it. They just let their flesh fill it. Don't do that. Be careful. Let the Spirit of God guide you. Sometimes the best thing to do is not speak. But oftentimes, you can speak. The the Lord is giving you thoughts of Scripture that you could share, but you share it in a loving way. Speaking the truth in love. Every Christian in this room ought to be practicing that. You, practice it, you should practice it among brothers and sisters, and you should practice it with the world. It'll grow your faith because you're going to take some hits by speaking the truth in love. But that's okay. We're called, to, we're called to persecution, by the way. Peter said, what are you talking about? You mean there's Christians that aren't persecuted? Give me a break. Peter would have said there's no such thing. Every Christian is persecuted. Every Christian, true Christian, stands for Christ. Christ. Amen? And when you stand for Christ, he stands for you. Look at Stephen being stoned to death. While the, while the rocks are pelting him, the Scripture says, God opened up the windows of heaven and he saw the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. You look at, if you look at most scripture that regards Jesus in heaven, he's seated, sitting, he's seated to the right hand of the Father. Not now, not while Stephen's being stoned to death, it says he's standing. <laughs> wow. That when I'm willing to take hits for the name of Jesus, Jesus isn't just lo- lounging around in heaven. He never does that anyway. But when he sees that we're standing, he stands. The Bible says that He's forever interceding in our behalf before the Father. He's your representative. So when you're when you're standing for truth and you're taking hits, no. Jesus is standing. He's praying for you. He said, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when men say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. You're blessed! It's, it's just the way it is in the Christian life. It's the life we're to live. Fourthly, don't participate in darkness. Ephesians 5.11, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. It's in the Bible. Don't participate in the works of darkness. Expose them. Let the light of the gospel shine In those dark places, so that the Holy Spirit of God is able to use your witness, your words, where you quoted the scripture, he uses it to convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You want to do your part, obviously salvation is all God's part, but he gives us a role. He says you're to be the sower. Your job? broadcast the seed, the truth, everywhere you go. Throw it on everything, even the rocky places, even the hard places, even the weeds. Throw the seed. Don't pick and choose who you think might be ready. You just lovingly throw seed everywhere you go. Let it hit whatever it hits, and let the rest of it be the work of the Holy Spirit. But you be faithful to throw the seed. Fifthly, never forget how the gospel changed you. That's why you should be sharing the gospel, because somebody somewhere shared the gospel with you. How many of you received the gospel by radio broadcast? Somebody preaching or whatever. Raise a hand. Look around. One hand. Okay. How many by television broadcast? You watch Billy Graham or something back? Okay, one, two. Okay, good. Okay. How many of you received the gospel because somebody Modeled it or shared Christ with you, and that turned you to God. Raise a hand. Look around. Look around. It's okay to look around in church. Do I need to say more? The reason you share the gospel is because somebody shared it with you. You wouldn't be saved if they were quiet the way some of you are quiet. God uses you, you're part of the plan. And I love this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. In the original text, it says the effeminate. Did you know that in the Old Testament, if a man put on woman's clothing in any way, shape, or form, that was reason for God to strike them dead. They would, that was capital punishment stuff. God installed that. You know why? Because he didn't create a man to act like a woman, ever, even jokingly. Nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Man, Uh, maybe some of you have never participated in perverted sexual sin, but I'm not sure about the greediness and the drunkenness or the reviling or the swindling. Maybe you have done a little bit of that. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at the next verse. This is the redemption of God. This is the love of God, the mercy and the grace of God. And such were some of you. Past tense. But you were washed by the word. Washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart by God. That's why He called you to salvation. And you were justified by faith, right? In this in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Justified. You became justified, meaning. God no longer looks at you and sees a sinner. Because of the work of Jesus on the cross for your sins, it's as if God no longer sees sin in you. Just as if you've never sinned. That's how He sees you today, through Christ. You have been imputed with the righteousness of Jesus. Somebody ought to be shouting hallelujah on that. Thank you, God. Because I've committed some sins in my lifetime. Sins that I don't even want to share ever. And every day I struggle in my mind. Every day thoughts come in when I think about certain people and I want to judge them. When I want to be impatient with my wife or impatient with whoever. That's a regular thing for me. I mean, that's regular. Every day I'm tempted to lust. Every day I'm a man. 98% of all men are tempted to lust. The other 2% are lying. It's just the way it is. But I don't have to give in to it. Isn't that wonderful? Because I've been washed, I've been sanctified, set apart by God. I've been justified by the work of Christ on the cross. God looks at me and he looks and says, He sinned? I don't see sin. I see the righteousness of my son who died for him, covering his sinfulness. The price that my son paid on the cross satisfied the guilt and the shame that brought my wrath and my anger and judgment against him. It's no longer there. Aren't you glad for that? Let me give you one more point. I know we've gone over. Those of you who came in and didn't know or you forgot to get a cushion in the back to sit on, I am so sorry. (laughs) Next week, get that cushion. We've got people who get two cushions. Nobody will ever look down upon you, okay? So let me just close out and say this. We've been called by God to be salt and light. That's not optional. Every day we live, we need to lean into the Holy Spirit and ask him to help us practice righteousness, walk in righteousness, so that we have a witness with a fallen world. We no longer want to judge them. We no longer want to be angry and just hate them because we have to love them. The very people that are so against everything that we stand for are people that God wants us to cast seed upon. Can I say this? It's going to hurt your feelings a little bit, some of you. Did you know that God loves them as much as he loves you? Therefore, love them the way God loves them. And be thankful that God showed that love to you and you're saved. Let's be, let's be faithful stewards of the gospel. I want to invite Marshall Pennell, one of our elders, to come forward. Marshall and Jessica just got back in town. They travel quite a bit with the ministry that God has given them. And uh, we're just thankful that they're here this morning. And uh, Marshall, I want him to, we, we, you might have noticed we didn't have a prayer focus And I want Marshall to close our time with a prayer, and he's going to lead us as a congregation.
6: Let's stand together and please join me in prayer, listening carefully as I pray and agreeing with me as we pray together to our God. Father, as your children this morning, followers of Christ, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ, we're aware of the desperate situation that we were in before being redeemed by your blood. Father, may our hearts be grateful this morning as was so carefully explained to us in our time of communion. May we ever be aware of the miracle of salvation. And Father, might that be something that makes it impossible for us to despise other people regardless of their condition. God, we are in a world that's developed some things that are very tricky to us, hard to understand, hard to navigate. Sometimes it's difficult to know when to keep our, our mouths quiet and when to speak up. But Father, thank you that as Greg has reminded us this morning, we can ask and count on the Holy Spirit to guide us and help us, to speak through us, to give us restraint, to give us peace when our hearts are troubled, knowing that in spite of the wickedness that goes on around us, our God reigns. Father, I pray that you would help us as we go through these times following you to be absolutely committed to the truth of your word. Thank you that it was preached carefully and thoroughly to us this morning and that we can go into your word and look and see what you have said and make that our standard for truth. Father, I pray that we as your followers from this congregation would be committed to obeying the word of God Father, I pray that you would help us to be loving as we live our lives, not condoning things that are wrong, but being loving and kind, understanding that we, like everyone else, are sinners saved by the grace of God, and praying for those who have not come to faith in you, and living such lives among the pagans that they turn to you. Father, I pray that as we leave this place this morning, that you will guide us, remind us, give us your people, a stronger commitment to the truth of your word and how we can live that out in the world around us. Thank you, Father, that you have promised that as we do this, as we go to make disciples of all nations, that you will be with us. And Father, as we close this service and end this prayer this morning, May we do it with thankfulness of the knowledge that God is with us. You will be with us even to the very end of the age. Father, we love you. We're grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And friends, may the God of all peace bless you as you go and serve him in this world. You're dismissed.